Hello, and welcome to Creative Banter, a creativity and philosophy-focused podcast where anything goes. I'm your host, Cody Schultz. Joining me is the one and only Ben Horn. In talking about Guy Tall's More Than a Rock, Ben and I find ourselves thinking about success and the idea of fading into obscurity, something which introverts especially relate to, I'm sure. Let's dive right into it, shall we? going on Cody what is uh what is new with you well if last episode was not a COVID episode this one is the butt end of one for sure oh yeah oh (laughs) so yeah now now for the people listening right now they're they're, they might be wondering what's going on here because the last time we were recording I was not feeling well and uh just a couple hours after recording that, I went and got a PCR test, which strangely was negative. And it turned out just to be a, a summer cold. But then the week after that, when we were set to record, you weren't feeling so well. So it sounds like uh, things didn't work out as well for you. No, no, they did not. Um, I ah. So my girlfriend's sister ended up getting it at one point um, and then... We had gone up to the mountains, my girlfriend and I and my family, and I guess because of contact or whatever with, I don't know. Regardless, I ended up getting it. I woke up, um, when was that? Was that Wednesday or Thursday of the past week when we were supposed to record? Woke up, just, yeah. Yeah, it hit me like a truck. And it was, uh-huh. yeah, not good, so... Luckily, everything kind of settled down a couple of days after. Like the weekend wasn't too wasn't too terrible. Just a headache that I was dealing with, and just fatigue and shortness of breath is the main thing that's going on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's no fun, not a good time. So, in in a way, it was we, we were teasing that it may have been the uh, the COVID episode that everyone was was looking forward to, and then. Not so much, but then it kind of is, yeah, in, in a way. Yeah. The pre-COVID and after-COVID episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just got to give the the people what I, they want. I guess so. That's what they were asking for. So you know, just went out of our way to to make that happen. I mean, the, the only downside right now is that I'm probably gonna end up having to cancel my Adirondacks trip because. Oh. Yeah, I mean, just doing the dishes, just standing around that kind of deal. And like afterwards, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go sit down for a little while. So I can't really imagine a six hour drive and then three nights of camping and hiking around being very, uh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I've heard, um, from people that have had it where it just, it has that lasting impact and just the, the lingering sense and uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, wanting to, to go for hikes or anything along those lines when it's just the, the simplest of things become a little bit more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. So I figured I may as well just nix that one and 
rest up, start to recuperate some. A lot of people that I was talking to were saying that it's like four to six weeks or so before they like felt good again to like hike and do that kind of thing. So I figure that gives me enough time to recuperate some for Acadia so I don't have to worry about canceling that one. And that's a bigger one anyway, yeah. so. So that's all right. Yeah. It that's, sucks, but it works out. That's definitely a bummer, but hopefully it'll it'll just sort of ease up with time. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not uh, not not what we what we would want to have. No, I would have much rather been dealing with this during like the winter or something when I don't want to be outside doing stuff. But yeah, 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 and and it was like when I started just it, I mean. It ended up being just a cold that I had, and it just it came on all of a sudden. So I started just going along the same lines of like, "Uh oh, this is this is the start of it," which probably just made it feel worse than it was. And I I don't even really I mean I work from home I don't really go anywhere other than running some errands. But um, when it was just the cold that I caught, I was I was thinking that just a few days before then um, I had gone kayaking down on the bay here in San Diego, and they had put in this new um, exercise equipment with these like monkey bars and this like rope climb okay. and stuff like that. So I'm thinking like, oh, I must have caught, you know, caught it from that in terms of it just being a cold. But it's just it's just weird that you know you have COVID going around, but also there's a cold going around during the summer, and somehow I don't know I don't know how it all works, but it's just it's 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 bizarre, and it sounds like. At some point, everyone's going to catch it, unfortunately. Yeah, that's just the reality of it is no matter how careful you are. I mean, it took two years, but it finally caught up, at least for me. So, yeah, it, it was funny, though, because my girlfriend and I were saying, because she was the only one out of her family at that point that didn't get it. And that, that weekend that her sister had it and was dealing with it, she was feeling fine. We were out chopping wood and working outside, that kind of thing, and then all of a sudden, like, I think Monday, Monday came around and she started, like, sore throat kind of symptoms. And then all of a sudden it hit her hard. And I'm like, oh, great. Uh, I know exactly where yeah. this is going. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm bound to get it. I'm like, I've, it, yeah. it took another, like, two or three days before it finally started hitting me. I was playing video games the one night and I, I texted her. I'm like, yeah, it's it's coming because my throat started to get like scratchy through the day. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, luckily it wasn't symptomatically terrible, but at least on my end. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's no good. <laughs> yeah. Well, on a uh, on a different topic, I uh, a little while back, um, probably I don't know a month or so ago. Uh, I received an email from a listener of the podcast okay. here, and he's a photographer I follow on Instagram. His name is uh, Daniel Egger. He's from Austria. And uh, he said that he was going to mail me something, and he wanted to know my uh, P.O. Box address. And so after a little while, he said, you know, it's, you know, it looks like it'll, it'll be there pretty soon. And, and so he, he lives in Austria. Yet when I went and checked my PO box, there was a package that came here, came from here in the in the states, and I opened it up. I could tell it was a book, 
and uh, opened it up, and it was a copy of More Than a Rock by Guy Tal. Hmm. And he had heard our discussion about it, and, uh, and I had mentioned that I, I had not yet read the book. And so he was kind enough to, to purchase the book and to send it to me. And so I've been, I've really been enjoying digging into that book. It's beautifully, this is the, the second edition. Okay. Um, but just absolutely beautifully created and, and uh, reading through the essays. And I think I'm up to the 10th the essay so far. So um, I don't know, maybe about 15% of the way through the book. Um, but it was, it was interesting. And, and how long ago was it that, that you had read his book? Um, we're going on about three years now. Okay. Yeah, and I, I and he, read the original, the first edition copy of it. Yeah, he had mentioned that in the um, sort of the introduction or the first part of the book that, you know, he had made some some changes here and there. The, the core of it's the same, but he added a little, few bits here and there. And it, it's very interesting how many of the things that he says I, I very much relate to. Um, and it's uh, different concepts of, of photography and creativity. And I can kind of see in some cases where he's going ahead of where he's going when he's setting up certain things. And there is a, a discussion in there uh, where he was creating a distinction between creative photography and representational photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that a, a, a discussion that you, that you remember in the book? Vaguely. It's, it's been a while and it's, I read so much of his stuff between his articles and this uh his newer book that he has out as well so but i i do vaguely remember uh something along those lines yeah and and he was it was kind of under an umbrella of discussing art and he he's clear to say that uh creative photography and represent representational photography are both very much under the umbrella of art but he was placing greater emphasis on creative photography versus representational photography. And he was defining representational photography as essentially taking a photo of something as it is uh, versus creativity versus creative photography, where it's a matter of trying to convey something with that image and maybe not being a literal representation of the subject itself. And it was interesting because I was, I, was I was going through, and this is something we've talked about a little bit in the past in, in the podcast, but I was, I was thinking a bit about it, where it is that my photography falls under there. And I feel like I'm somewhere between the two, but oftentimes I think I tend a little bit more towards representational. And there was a quote in there, which was interesting that when he was talking about representational photography, basically saying that, um, with representational photography, uh, the photographers dismiss their own role beyond the mechanics of operating a camera in terms of not necessarily I'm trying to think about how how to how to phrase it. 
but basically saying that, you know, I'm, I'm the one pushing the button, but I'm just trying to capture something for what it is, as opposed to creating deeper meaning into it. And I know that we had talked a little bit about this, but I was, I was thinking about how with representational photography, at least my viewpoint on that is I see something and it inspires a certain feeling within me. And simply trying to replicate that scene in an image, not taking artistic creative license necessarily, but just trying to be very faithful to that scene, for me in any ways, is kind of the best way for me to replicate the feeling I had when I saw that subject in the print. And having a strong deviation from reality takes me out of it. So I thought, I thought it was interesting how he was placing even more emphasis on the creative side versus I feel like there's also much to be said about the representational side and drawing inspiration from nature. And that's something certainly where, you know, black and white is going to kind of go in a different direction. Um, but then I started thinking about something else. And there was a quote a while back I remember seeing on Twitter. Uh, and it was from Clyde Butcher, who is a tremendous photographer. I absolutely love his work. Yeah. And there was a quote from him, which I thought was a little bit interesting. So I'm going to read this quote to you. I'm going to, I'm curious to hear your thoughts and he, and you might already know what the quote is, but here's the quote only in black and white. Can I see design and textures? I don't consider color photograph. Uh, I don't consider color photography art. Black and white is an interpretation. Color is a duplication. Is that a quote you've heard before? It is. Yeah. It's, it's one of those quotes that I've kind of gone back and forth a bit about. Yeah. Some days I agree with him and other days I am just thinking what what are you thinking saying that color isn't necessarily an artistic pursuit when it comes to photography. Like I can see that it's a duplication but at the same time it's so much more than that too. It it kind yeah. of de demeans uh, color photography and just puts out a very basic basic level when it's not always that. Yeah. And, and that was, that was my initial instinct as well. Cause I, I think we, we live in a very, uh, very polarized world where, you know, people look at something and they see something perhaps more divisive than it was intended to be. And so I, I, I looked more carefully at, the quote from Clyde Butcher, and I'll, I'll read it one more time here because I kind of tripped over my words the first time. All right, so here's, only in black and white can I see design and textures. I don't consider color photography art. Black and white is an interpretation. Color is a duplication. So when I read through the second time, I, I found that there is a bit more emphasis in simply the word I. So he basically saying that he doesn't consider color photography art, not that, not as opposed to saying color photography isn't art. So there's a big distinction there. 
because I think he's talking more about for his own process and for his own stuff, as opposed to more of a generalized statement. And in that sense, I very much, I'm, I'm fully on board with that because uh, I do remember seeing that he had done uh, some color work early on and then gravitated towards black and white because for him, that was, you know, that's more so the, the language that speaks to him in terms of, you know, working in black and white. Yeah. He had done a lot of color back in the day. Um, I remember he had done a ton of art shows um, and that was how he made a lot of his, like made his living. Um, if I remember right, he even had a, like a clock making uh, company where he would put his photographs as like the face of the clock. And he made a ton of money off of, that whole business before selling it but when his uh, son died in a car accident that's when he kind of went back to black and white i think that was in mm. the, the late 80s i think 86 if i remember right something along those lines that's kind of what drew him back into um, black and white but yeah i can i can see him like i can see both sides of that like the yeah the very personalized the heavier emphasis on I and his whole uh, interpretation of it, but I kind of can't help but feel as though color could be interpretation as well. Because you look at so many different, even if you're looking at so many different animals and the fact that different animals are going to see different colors than what we can, and the truth of the matter is that not every single individual sees a Granny Smith apple as the same green, even though it's you're looking at the same thing. So that's true. I think there's plenty of interpretation that can be done with color as well. Like I said, I, yeah. I struggle with that quote and have for a while, just because I can see both sides to it, but it just seems very as if you're trying to simplify things. To too far of a degree. Yeah, and and also, I'll say that when I when I was reading the essay from Guy Tal, it was also a sort of thing where he's speaking more positively of of creative photography. I mean, he's very clear to say that both representational and creative photography, they're both art and they, they both can be good. They both can be bad. You know, there's all different flavors within there, but certainly for his own work, he has really found that creative photography is the key. But I think if a person were either just sort of glancing at the quotes from either, from either Clyde Butcher or from Guy Tal in these situations, especially in as you know divisive as a world that we live i think people will read into it things based on their own their own bias their own uh, situations and so that's why i think it's important just to to take them in and to think about how that applies to the person who's you know who's saying it in the context within um because it seems like a lot of times with art, when people try to define art, it's often done through exclusion by saying what isn't art as a way of defining what is art. 
and it gets tricky because there there is and this is also something where um, Guy Tao was uh, was speaking of art and and defining it. And he had a really good definition for it where I, I don't want to put words into his mouth because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically it was it's something that is that is manufactured and I forget what the rest of it was um, but but it, but essentially he, he had a pretty good definition for it, but it's such a difficult thing to to define. And I think it's just important to know that, you know, with things as divisive as they can be, that there's so many different interpretations for for simple quotes. And I think it's why it's good to just to to slow down and take things in as opposed to, you know, you know, reacting in a way that social media typically has <laughs> has I think <laughs> trained so many people to to do these days. Yeah. I mean even with quotes like that, they just, or if you're reading something from an individual like Guy, and though you may not necessarily agree with what he's saying word for word, it's it's always important to kind of understand that there are always snippets of it that you can not necessarily agree with, but learn from. And just because one person's approach to photography doesn't necessarily align with your own doesn't mean that there isn't something that you could be trying that's different that might work out a little bit better you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure i was on uh petapixel the other day and i noticed all of this talk on instagram and the downfall of the platform which yeah i always think is quite interesting to see from like an outside perspective because of me not being on it and just kind of seeing what the general consensus is for a lot of the decisions that they're making and that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I saw one article that was talking about a photo sharing app dubbed the anti-Instagram, which apparently has been soaring to popularity recently. Um, It's called Be Real. And the, the tagline is your friends for real. You know anything about this? Hear anything about it? I mean, I've heard it mentioned, but I I am not familiar with it. Okay. Um, though I do know that there's definitely been a lot of people who've been dissatisfied with what has happened with Instagram lately. So Be Real came out, I think, a couple years ago, just quietly. I remember it... Uh, very vaguely coming out and just kind of disappeared under the radar again. Um, Mm -hmm. Kind of how it works from my understanding of it is you create an account and instead of being able to just hop on and post a picture whenever you want, they instead give you a two minute time frame each day that's randomized where you can post a photograph and it's supposed to be more of a genuine interaction like with your friends showing them what you're doing at that moment because you have this two-minute time period and when you take a photograph, it takes a a selfie of you along with a photograph of whatever is in front of you or whatever you point your camera at. So Hmm. it's an interesting idea. I don't necessarily think that it's going to be uh, anything decent for 
photographers like us or even something more than just playing around um but it just got me thinking about the whole instagram ordeal and just how they're trying to implement all this different stuff into their platform because about a week or so after i had seen this they implemented something very similar into their own platform or at least began to huh yeah they started you kind of have to dig for it and it's not like as obvious as their copying of like tiktok and that kind of thing but it's nonetheless yeah they took that idea and were like oh well this is clearly popular so we're gonna snag that up (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's like i said it's just something that's interesting because i also think you were saying before we start recording that Vero is making a comeback as well or trying to and I remember yeah. that from 2018 and that was a whole well didn't really get up onto that I think I created an account and then realized that guys like uh, Alex Noriega and them were instantly like had massive followings so I'm like I can't keep up with this anyway so <laughs> Yeah, you get that sort of that rat race yeah. kind of feel when all of a sudden there's a, a new platform that emerges and everyone jumps on it. And, and I also had created a account there back in 2018. And I remember at the time, I don't think they had the, the, the server support for it as much as they needed. So it was slow, it was buggy, it would crash. Um, but with Instagram going to the point where it's now just they're really pushing the reels because they want to try and be a TikTok clone. And then you had mentioned how with uh, they're trying to start copy what, you know, be real is doing. It's just that that copying everything that's popular mentality, which I think is what leads to so much of what's wrong with our with our society, you know, not not really trying to be one for original ideas, but simply just jumping on trends of whatever is, is popular in the name of Buck. Um, but yeah, I, I, I logged back on to um, to Vero. I don't know if it's Vero, Vero. I'm, I, I guess it looks a little bit more like Vero. I, I oh, suppose that's a flaw in the platform <laughs> if the pronunciation is not immediately apparent right, off the, right out of the gate. Um, but I logged back in um, or at least I tried to log back in. I couldn't find my account because I made it with some obscure email address. So I created a new account. And I got to say that the experience thus far has been quite nice um, because it's simply just people sharing their photos, um, lots of, of good comments and good interaction. And it just feels so much nicer than Instagram where you're just bombarded with, um, you know, the, the reels of, you know, people trying to be Insta famous and everything else. And then just ads nonstop, which I heard that and, they're doubling down on and trying to add even, uh, put in any, even more ads and stuff like that to Instagram, which is always good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, especially woven into the stories and then also into the feed and it just became rather obnoxious. And I think there was an update to the app that some people got that I don't think I've gotten um, where it's supposed to be even worse. But it just, with the 
lack of engagement in them sort of pushing their own thing. Um, I'll say that um, Vero, Vero, <laughs> whatever we're going to call it, um, I suppose we'll probably have it in show notes. Um, it's it's a better format for displaying photos. Um, I feel like the inter- the interaction is far more genuine. People aren't pushing things. We, we don't have people pushing uh, all kinds of things and stuff along those lines. <laughs> um, so it, it, I will say it has been, it has reminded me a little bit of, of getting, of kind of those early days of getting into photography where, where everything's just kind of nice and new and fresh and, and a new perspective on things before we get too jaded with, uh, with everything social media. Um, but the other thing too I also wanted to mention is that when you do see a platform like Instagram, they, they suddenly make changes overnight and then they just have massive numbers of people that just feel somewhat alienated by it. You do realize that you're just at the mercy of the platform, which I think is why it's very important to have your own website as uh, something that you can control. You can control how your images are displayed, the specific content that's on there. Um, so if, if anything, I think this really uh, makes that ever more important. Um, and it's not too not too tough to to get a pretty good website these days. No. I feel like this is going to turn into a Squarespace app. Yeah. I guarantee it will not. <laughs> <laughs> I do use them. Yes, but, but so I think, do I. But I, it's, yeah. it's still one of those every YouTube video that you watch seems to be yeah. sponsored by Squarespace. Takes two minutes yeah. to make a website. And I think we the tagline, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by all means, if they want to, no. But no, I do agree that there is definitely going to be some kind of drive toward back towards websites, and I think there should be because, like you were saying, you have so much more freedom of formatting it, at least for the most part, how you want it to. Um, yeah, I think Squarespace actually, I just seen came out with an update that's trying to make it even more free how you can format your website and uh, organize things how you want um, because there obviously are restrictions and stuff like that unless you custom build your own site but nonetheless I I yearn for the day that we are able to just send out newsletters and have people focus on newsletters again rather than yeah. the constant scrolling and clicking of social media and that kind of deal yeah i I saw another app that uh, i think right now it's only on like the website kind of thing um i think it's granary yeah i've heard about that one as well i forget who had uh who had mentioned it i think on youtube i saw something but that one seemed interesting too so there there's definitely people out there trying to combat instagram but yeah. I think the problem comes along of everyone's trying to be the anti-Instagram instead of just coming up with their own unique idea and just kind of the, the, the focus of being anti-Instagram just isn't going to work because people are only exactly. going to get so sick of Instagram before they realize I don't even want to be on an anti-Instagram platform. I just kind of want to be on a platform that's unique, that's different. Yeah. But... And, and that's definitely where, um, as you had mentioned, like when it comes to like new newsletters and stuff, that that's honestly probably the best way to have um, the reach to people who are interested in one's work. 
and then with a with a website, simple things like you can control, you know, which photos are displayed next to each other. I mean, simple things like that that yeah. make all the difference in the world. That you know, on on a social media platform, it just it's not really well suited for that. I think social um, media is great for real quick. Here's my work. Here's just very basic kind of thing, like quick snapshot of your work, so to speak. And then yeah. the website should be more of like the here is my absolute best work. Like I like how um, Sean Tucker has always used his Instagram and kind of playing to the playing part to the fiddle of uh, posting daily and all that kind of thing to keep engagement up, but just kind of having it like a scrapbook of his work rather than saying this is the best that I can do. I just use it mostly for cat and dog pictures that's that's been my formula for success right there i mean so, hey it, you know. clearly something is working so yeah <laughs> but i i think but, that kind of goes yeah. into something else that i wanted to talk about was the defining of success and the reality versus the expectation that you had like what you expected your life and your artistic pursuits to be versus uh, how they kind of turned out i kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that yeah that's that's definitely a very very interesting topic um because i think with in in most cases our our expectations are constantly shifting and adjusting and in kind of going back to our, our our episode last week when i was talking about how i was skating around the lake um and then, you know, I've, I've, I've started going skating again and then was skating around the same lake, listening to the same playlist as before and just thinking about where, where I wanted to go with my photography at that time. And then, you know, heading back there again, listening to the same thing and realizing that I've, I've kind of a, mostly achieved what I wanted to. It, it is, it's interesting because it's, I'm not sure exactly how how to describe it other than the fact that I've just basically illuminated a lot of the things that I didn't want to do is <laughs> kind of and then just kind of ended up being what I wanted to do and and I I do you know define it as as being successful at at what I'm doing but also I don't know it's 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 definitely feels like a bit of a moving target. There's always something a little bit later down the line, and I'm I'm very I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I'm able to to do what I enjoy for a living. But I don't know. It's <laughs> it, it is interesting. I feel like, and this is something we talked about in the past episodes as well that the end result is mostly that time is just going way faster yeah. than before. And I'm doing more of what I like to do, but I feel like time is just speeding up. So then it has me wondering like, is this really the ideal situation? Cause pretty soon it's gonna be like, all right, well it's time to retire. Uh, if that even what? happens for a photographer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, Though, Go ahead. Though I was going to say that, like, I, I think at some point the thought of 
being in a position where I can just go on a trip somewhere and shoot photos without all the work that comes after it, I think that would be that would be nice. I guess I guess that's kind of the the retirement uh, sort of situation there where you're at a point where like, you know, maybe I, I don't have to do the videos. I don't have to do the portfolios. I don't have to do all that stuff. And it's just purely enjoying it for what it is. Um, but I, I will say that working from home and doing what I enjoy, everything else just kind of becomes a blur. And I, I think one also loses perspective. The, the more you do something, you lose perspective of, um, I mean, I'm still extremely grateful for what I'm doing, but it's just at a certain point, you don't really, I guess the novelty wears off a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And it just, it, you know, it, at a certain point, I think with sort of the human existence is that you always find contrast in things. No matter where you are, in, no matter where you are in life, there's something that's going to be considered very good. There's something that's going to be considered very bad. And if you're in a very, very good situation, you know, there's always going to be something that's great there. But there's always something that's going to be not great. But that thing that's not great, from as seen from a different perspective, would probably be seen as something that's very good. Uh, and, and likewise, if you're in a in a very you know bad place in life, you know, whatever you see as being such a really good thing at that point in time, you know, from a different perspective, you, it would not seem like it's all that great. So there's kind of like this weird thing where we, we find this, this contrast in life, whereas, you know, certain things that are a lot of work for me right now are things that, you know, maybe in the past I looked at, I'm like, oh man, I wish I could be doing that at some point in time. So it's, it's kind of an, an odd thing, really. Yeah. But the fact that time is going so fast, that, that's the part that I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit hesitant about. <laughs> uh, it just, my girlfriend recently got a, a contract for teaching. She finally got a job. It's, hmm. And it kind of got me thinking about like, both success, but also like the idea of the hedonic treadmill and the fact that your level of happiness is almost always stagnated. Like you have spikes and you have peaks and valleys and all of that, but at the end of the day, you're you are following along a very uh, same path for your happiness, and yeah, which gets brought up because she was saying how, yeah, she got this job and it wasn't exactly what she wanted. It's not the school that she was really hoping to be into or anything like that. But nonetheless, it's a contract, a one-year contract that she got and it's still her first big girl job, so to speak. And yeah, it just got me thinking on success and this whole idea, like you were saying about the trying to figure out where your next target is because there's always going to be some kind of moving target that you're striving for, whether it's writing for some magazine or getting X amount of followers on YouTube or whatever. But I think there's also a downside to having metrics like that that you can't necessarily control for when you're defining success. I mean, I think of this, and I've had this sticky note up here 
for a while now that I never in a million years would have thought I'd be making a podcast with the person who got me into landscape photography. That's cool. For me, that's a huge success. Like the person that, for the most part, got me not only into landscape photography, but also into film photography and helped me to progress to the point where I am now. I'm talking to just about every week doing a podcast with. That is a cool perspective. So I think there's this idea that, and whether it's a Western idea or whatever about success, but the fact that even something like that should be constituted as being so much more important than if I were to sell a thousand prints or something like that. Yeah. Like there should be a certain level of, um, a certain level of joy that you get from one versus the other. I just think it's, it's important to kind of redefine our, what we've considered to be successful in a successful life. Cause like you were saying, I'd, the absolute goal, if we could ever figure it out, and if you figure it out before me, please do let me know, um, <laughs> of being able to just, you know, go out and enjoy taking photographs and not have to worry about doing a damn thing other afterwards, because that would be very nice, not have to worry about prints or worry about anything else besides just enjoying life. Yeah, it, and, and I think in many ways embodying that that feeling that we got when you know so many of us got into photography when it was something you know magical and new and you're just you know wanting every opportunity to go out and and grab your camera and, and point it at things um I, I think sort of recapturing that uh, combined with a you know taking a moment every now and then this is something that i I did on my my backpacking trip uh, most recently when I was uh, hiking into the location I just kind of like stopped as I'm hiking through this this riverbed there's some grasses and some some cottonwood trees and there's it's kind of toward the evening and the little bit of a breeze and I just kind of stopped and looked around and I'm just like this is cool this is like <laughs> this is this is my this is my job this is what I do for a living and just thinking like, you know, this, just seeing things through that lens of, of gratitude to in some ways think back to, you know, a while back and, and maybe some of the goals that we had early on. And, and that also has me thinking about another essay that I had read in Guy Tal's book um, where he was basically talking about the life that he leads right now you know, living in a, a small town in southern Utah. And it is basically, that's all he really wants for himself. He, he you know, he doesn't want to have the, the big extravagant things. He doesn't want to have the, you know, all everything that comes with, you know, a huge, you know, social media presence and all that sort of stuff. But simply to be able to go out, to shoot photos, to write, and and that's something that I very much related to, and 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 this is something where I think you know people certainly need to be able to or need to to read the book in order to to get the most and get all the the nuance out of that. But basically, just not 
having a desire to do anything. He basically just saying that he built himself the life that he loves. Yeah. And and that's something that I very much related to um, because I, I have no desire for the, the, the rat race of everything that is, you know, trying to, to game the system on, on YouTube or social media or this or that, or trying to appeal the masses, but just staying true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely a very important thing. and something that's very easily lost with, with everything these days. Yeah. I've talked to him before about that whole, that whole idea. And he even told me before that the life that he leads now isn't even exactly what he had wanted per se the fact that he is like this i don't want to go so far as like saying a celebrity within the photography world but at the same time he kind of is and he wasn't expecting that he wasn't wanting that even if he could if he could make it work so that he didn't have to make any money off of writing or photography at all and he could just go through his days as he does i don't think that he definitely would. He would definitely just kind of disappear into the background from what I've gotten yeah. from talking to him. And I I can't help but relate to that on a very personable level of just be nice to just kind of be in the background of the world, just doing my own thing and just going by, but trying to make a, a living off of that and sustaining a, such a lifestyle is kind of difficult. Yeah, and and actually, as as you were as you were talking there, and I was just kind of making some notes there. One of the things that I wrote down, wrote down uh, as you're talking about is like just the phrase "fade into obscurity." And, and honestly, for me, that is something that would actually be a very desirable thing. Just to you know, if one didn't need to earn a living from from anything if, if if one just happened to be independently wealthy just happened to have you know you know mortgage mortgage you know you know <laughs> got bills to pay you don't have to worry about stuff uh i would be i'd be very happy enough to to fade into obscurity to the point where i can just do my own thing no pressure and just you know creating images creating art just really for myself and in some ways, I actually, I think back to some of the days, like some of my early visits to Zion um, back in, you know, 2009, 2010. It was kind of nice just to be able to to basically kind of go anywhere and, and shoot anything and and not have any sort of pressure associated with it. But, you know, just kind of like the, the early days of, of photography when one is just going through that cycle of, of, of learning uh, learning the craft and experimenting a lot. And so I, I look very fondly upon those days because it is different now with the pressure that goes with it. But but yeah, I'd, I'd be happy enough to, to fade to obscurity. The, the other uh, phrase I'll use uh, sometimes is that basically I, I would be the the worst game show contestant. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not the type who's going to be like, you know, going for the big prize and doing all the risk and stuff. You know, if, if I show up there and, you know, I, I get 50 bucks and then they say, hey, you can wager that for, you know, getting 200 bucks. I'm like, you know what? I'm good with the bucks 50. Is good with me. It's more than I showed up with. Yep. I'm fine with that. And I'd be the guy that walked and be horrible TV. <laughs> I 
I think it's funny you say horrible TV though, because I was in one of my classes. I think back in the spring, uh, we were talking about game shows and like how they're so different when you get a like the Great British Bake Off versus the Americanized version of it, because yeah. over there they're not doing it for prize money. The competition is totally different. It's not like as diehard competitive as what it is in America here. Whereas like hmm. with us, we want to see something. We want to see people go really hard at it and they want to win big money and they're super like competitive against each other and don't help each other. But over there they're like, yeah, we're just kind of enjoying this. Like, you need help baking something, then all right, cool, I'll be over in a second kind of deal, which is just... Interesting. Yeah, it was a very weird uh, realization that came along with that, that we're so competitive in this country, that, which goes along with the idea of success and the fact that we always want more than what somebody else has, not even just the same, but definitely more than that. I wonder how that affects the results between the two different approaches. I'd almost guarantee you that there's you get better results in the, let's say, European uh, perspective than you do in the American. That's what I would think as well. Because you, I mean, you think about it like a community like NPN and the fact that everybody there, for the most part, I'd say, is there to help each other when they go onto that community versus something like Instagram where the only reason that people even comment or interact with you at all is for the most part so that they can get seen or have a chance of getting seen. Yeah. And there's really no, there's no reason to comment on Kylie Jenner's posts like at <laughs> all. There's, there's no reason yeah. behind it, but you still get people who do comment because they think, oh, maybe someone else will see my comment and visit my page full of cat memes and dog photos. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does seem like the, whether it is the sort of the American way of doing the, the TV show or, you know, social media culture, it really is the, the loudest and oftentimes the most obnoxious stuff that rises to the top. Unfortunately, which, yeah. Yeah. Which it, it doesn't reward creativity. It just rewards essentially a formula for success that others have used. And it, it doesn't really it doesn't really reinforce because I would imagine that in, in the analogy of, you know, the, the, the British show versus the US version, I would imagine that there's gonna be more true collaborations and I, I, I don't like the word collaboration because that one it's just been twisted so much and it just becomes you know an ad for you know some random company like do you want to collaborate no we don't want to <laughs> sell your blenders on my landscape photography channel I, I you know but like like a true exchange of ideas and you know so much better in, in thinking back to when you're talking about NPN um a, a little while back, um, so they have they have these uh, guest critique sessions. Yeah, and uh, Alex Noriega was doing the the critiques, and it was it was fascinating to 
read through his critiques and all the the detail and nuance and everything that he was pointing out in these in these images and it was so incredibly refreshing for someone to spend that much time and effort on a person's work and being so thoughtful about it you know as opposed to just you know you know you throw that same image on uh on instagram and there's just going to be lots of emojis and yeah all kinds of very base level stuff yeah yeah and that's just it's it's not a good it's not a good level of interaction in any in any way because it's just it's it's an interaction based on it's like a transactional interaction where you know a person's looking for something in return as opposed to you know a good solid critique of the work uh like on NPN, which is just, you know, it was so, so refreshing to, to, to read all those critiques that he did. And he did a lot of critiques. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how he had enough time, but, uh, but it was, it was very, very impressive to see. Yeah. Speaking on those critiques, we actually have over on NPN, um, I think Alistair Ben is coming up soon doing a critique. Oh, cool. Um, just for anyone listening that wants to see what Alistair has to do or has to say with their, with their work. Cause I think it's going to be much the same with that. Cause you on a platform the, like NPN, that you are able to take that time and you go on there willing to take the time, the half hour or whatever to have, have genuine interaction with other people. I think that's always, yeah, always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, codyschultz.com. And you can find my work at benhorn.com. For further discussion, join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.